Our scripture today will be selections from Matthew, and we'll begin with Matthew chapter 16. So I invite you, if you would like, to turn your Bibles to Matthew 16. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we are so grateful for your love and your grace, and grateful for the privilege of studying your word together, the opportunity to worship you. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a little boy, if you ask what I wanted to be when I grew up, the answer would be, I want to be a preacher. For some reason, from the time I was just a little kid, I always wanted to be a preacher when I grew up. And we had pastors in my home church. I grew up out in the country. We had some great pastors. One, Preacher Lofton, he would come by. And, and what was really funny is he would visit with my family and then he would act like he would leave, was going to leave without having a prayer, knowing I was going to stop him. Whoa! I thought preachers were supposed to pray before they leave. That's the cue to you all when we're leaving. And so I thought you were supposed to have a prayer before you left. And, and, and he would laugh and he would have a prayer. It was kind of there just, just to have some fun. But I was blessed. I grew up, as I mentioned, way out in the country, small little country church. If you go to Statesville, go about 15 miles up, make some turns, and you'll come to some beautiful land out in the middle of nowhere. And, and that's where I grew up. And there was a little brick church about a quarter mile from my parents' house. My parents built the home they live in today the year before I was born. So that's kind of what I know as, as home. And when I was a kid, we could ride bicycles everywhere. I mean, we were out far enough in the country that if you saw another car in the community, it was a neighbor. And so they knew you. They knew to watch out for you. And, and, and so we rode our bicycles everywhere. And, and periodically, as we would be riding bicycles, we'd actually pull in that little, little home church. We go inside because the doors were never locked when I was growing up. And if you wanted some water or something, if you'd been playing outside, you'd go inside. You knew where the water fountain was. Periodically, we would go into the sanctuary. And, and, and I loved going in there. And nobody had to worry about, you know, the kids were not going to do anything wrong in the sanctuary because we were taught this is very sacred space. This is God's house. And we were always taught to respect it. But when I was a kid and some of the neighbor kids, as we'd be riding bikes together, we would, we would pretend like we were having church periodically. I play the piano by ear, and at that time I could still, you know, I could play a, a few basic hymns. And so we would sing a couple songs together, and then I'd put up a little chair behind the pulpit that Mr. Clanton made, step up on the little chair behind the pulpit, and I would preach. When I finished, all my friends would come up and get saved right around the front. <laughs> We had a great time together, then we would, you know, put the chair back, and then we would go back out and ride our bicycles. We'd have a great time, and I just always thought I would be a preacher someday. I loved asking challenging questions in Sunday school. I, I always wanted to know, well, why, well, why, well, why, well, why, but why? And I always thought, you know, you ought to be able to ask those questions about God. And But then when I got a little older, I, I kind of changed my mind a little bit and thought I, I'd like to be an attorney. Matter of fact, I could just see myself as a trial lawyer. I thought I would be an awesome trial lawyer. And, and I could just picture that early in my teenage years. And, you know, I could just see myself, you know, having somebody on the stand. Because I'd seen it in the movies and I assumed that's how it works. You know, that, you know, you have somebody on the stand and you ask them a question. And you ask them another question. And you ask them another question. And before they get an answer, you ask them another question. And finally go, okay, I did it. 
And you go, Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> I could see myself doing that. I thought that would be a lot of fun. I'd be awesome at that. But then when I was just a little bit older, about 15, 16, life changed. I, I had some cousins that we were just really close to. As a matter of fact, my parents and my cousins are still very close today. We'll call periodically and we'll go, hey, you guys want to meet for dinner? Well, we're going over with John and Richard. And, you know, they would talk about how we're going we're gonna to meet up. They're still very close today. And we grew up just incredibly close. It's one of the things that I love about, you know, the way I grew up and where I grew up was grandma wasn't too far down the, the road this way and cousins, you know, kind of all around. And, and so we, we spent a lot of time visiting together and spending life together and you know, the cousins had horses, so if we wanted to ride horses, we went to their house. We had motorcycles, so if you wanted to ride motorcycles, you came over to our house, and it was a great way to grow up. I mean, we played together, enjoyed life together, went on vacation together. When I was a kid, we would go to the beach, and, you know, we, I grew up in a blue-collar family, and most of the people, you know, earned their living with their hands, and, uh, and so, you know, we, we couldn't afford just to go to luxury places. So we would go camping at the beach and we had those pop-up campers that you'd pull behind. Some of you may have seen those. I love those things. You know, the, the little camper, you crank it up and pull out the sides and, and we would go camping. There were about three families that would go. So we'd get three different campsites and you put one on this end pointing this direction, the other one on this end pointing this direction, and the third one here pointing. We had that courtyard area there in the middle and, and we'd stay there for a couple weeks and my dad and their dad would come down on the weekends. You know, they were working to make sure that, that, that we could have that opportunity to play and have fun together. And when we'd be going to the beach, we always thought it was cool if we got to ride in their car. Because they had the station wagon where the back seat faced the opposite direction. And we always thought that was the coolest thing to be riding down the road seeing where you've been. But when you're pulling the camper, the view doesn't change a lot. Well, so when, when we were growing up and my cousin was about 17 years of age, he was helping his dad. His dad owned a grading business. And again, you know, I grew up driving tractors and I can run a bulldozer. You don't want to pay me by the hour, but I can run one. And, you know, and, and still periodically, Nancy will tell you, we love to go. I like to go borrow my brother's bobcat, you know, and just tell him I need to do some work. It's just to play piddle around, you know, and I, I enjoy running equipment, enjoy doing things, and so my cousin was, was actually running the dozer, pushing his dad with the pan. The pan would, you know, drops a blade down, picks up some of the dirt, you go move it and place it at other places, and kind of, you know, move, move the dirt around, but as you start picking up a lot, you need that extra power, and so the dozer comes in behind and, and will push and give it that extra power, that extra energy, and that was my cousin's job. He was doing that with his dad one day on a site, and when they stopped, cousin jumped on off the bulldozer, but when he did, the track of the bulldozer cut his leg open. And when he did, they obviously had to go to the hospital, and the thought was, we'll just go get you stitched up. But as the doctor got to looking closer, they saw that he had cancer in that leg. Some of you may remember I've shared my call story several years ago with you, and and so, you know, they, they started looking at his leg, and finally they had to amputate his leg. So here's this high school kid, and they had to remove his leg. And he was an athletic kind of guy, so he strapped on an artificial leg, still threw the disc for the track. He couldn't run track anymore, but he, he threw the disc. One time he spun so hard he spun his leg off, and his, his, his mother had to go get him another one so he could be at the meet that night. 
he just wasn't going to quit. He just was one of those great personalities. But the cancer had spread by the time they found it. And soon it was in his lungs. And so when he was 19, he died. I'll never forget that time because, again, we were just so incredibly close. I could tell you the whole story. It's a quite an amazing story, but uh, time won't allow it right now. But uh, just one of those very close guys. And, and I witnessed two preachers show up. One was invited. The other one just showed up one day. And the preacher that just showed up was, was serving another church in the community but wasn't part of the family's life whatsoever. But for some reason, he felt uh, that he needed to stop by. And while he was talking with the family, he said to them, Now you guys know that if y'all had had a little more faith, your son would still be alive today. Yeah, somehow he survived that incident. I'm not sure exactly how. My, my cousins are big people. I think it was the shock of the moment and so he left and then I watched the second preacher the one that was invited their pastor the one that served the church nearby his name was Marion Swan and I watched Marion as he ministered to that family I, I'm only about 16 and I'm watching and I'm listening and paying attention because I was asking some of the same questions and I remember going to, to Paul's funeral, and I, I can almost tell you where I was sitting, and I, I, I remember you know, how he led us to celebrate Paul's life, and then reminded us of this God who would get this family through this, and a God who so loved him and so loved us. And I listened to that story, and I, and I, and I listened, and, and the experience of, of that funeral was actually like a worship service, and and so, you know, I, I was kind of struggling with it. So after the, the service was over, we had that family luncheon, just like our church here, you know, the bereavement team would provide the lunch. And, and so we had a lunch together as a family. And, and then we went back home and we got to my house. I was in high school, as I said at the time, and I was a runner at the time. So I changed clothes, decided to go for a run. And so I, I took off running. And uh, as I was running, I was kind of thinking through all this and uh, listening to what the two preachers had said at two different times and where is God in the midst of this. And, and I found myself stopped right in front of that little country church where I grew up, the little country church where I would go in and play church, the little country church where I went to Sunday school, but the little country church that I would put the chair at the pulpit and stand up behind Mr. Clanton's pulpit and, and I would preach. And, and I, I remembered hearing God speak. Now, I'm not one of those that hear God speak on a regular basis. I'm not one of those that talk about, well, just the other day, God told me, and then God told me, and God told me. I'm, I'm not, I just don't have those audible moments all that often. I'm not the guy that says, you know, the other day I felt compelled to go to Target, and I knew it was God because when I pulled in, the first space right beside the handicapped space opened up, and I went, yes, God told me to be here. <laughs> you know, I'm not one of those people. But that was the time that it felt like I just had a conversation with God. And, and I, I heard God saying, you know, when you were a little boy, you played preacher. And you've witnessed two preachers. And you've heard what can happen when somebody speaks in my name and somebody acts like they're speaking in my name and what that can do. I need you to be a real preacher now. I remember that. I need you to be a real preacher. And I'm looking for a real church. Wow. I mean, 
16 years old, that was not the, the most convenient time to be called into the ministry. Nancy and I started dating when we were 16, and, and I'm just going to tell you, it will mess up your social life in high school when you go telling your friends, hey, we're going to party, I'm going to be a preacher. Oh, too bad you're not coming. <laughs> I need you to be a real preacher and not play preacher anymore. And so it makes me ask questions, and periodically I still ask questions. I, I sometimes, you know, when we're together with the staff team, we'll ask the question, like, why do we do church? Why, why do we even do what we do? I mean, why, why is this important to us? I mean, what difference does a church make in our lives? What difference does a church make in the lives of other people? I mean, I've dedicated my life to the church. When I graduated high school and started college, I became a youth minister for two years. And, and then after that, I was appointed to my very first church at 20 years of age. I have no clue what the bishop and the superintendent were thinking other than we don't have anybody else. And they moved me to my very first church, which is now our Monroe campus. And, and, you know, it was interesting because I've wrestled with, you know, do we play church or are we the church? And, one of the questions that I have for the church today, I, I wrestle, and when I talk about the church, I'm not talking about just Weddington, but I'm not excluding Weddington either. I'm talking about the, the church is, do we play church or, or are we a real church? And what is the purpose of the church and what is the foundation of the church? So the first scripture that, that comes to mind when I, when I start wrestling with these questions is, is the Matthew 16 scripture that I, I mentioned to you. It's Matthew 16 verse 13 and, and it's where Jesus is asking the disciples when you're out among the people, who do they say that I am? And, and listen to what they said. Matthew 16 verse 14 and they said some say John the Baptist but others Elijah still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets now those are great answers I mean these are men of God clearly these are people of God who spoke on behalf of God and made a, a world of difference for God some people say that you're one of those people or a prophet but it wasn't the right answer so Jesus said but who do you say that I am and I think there was a moment of silence until Simon Peter, verse 16, answered, You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, one of the things I love about this scripture is, is that when, when Peter speaks up and goes, I know who you are, you are the Christ, you're the son of the living God, Jesus says, blessed are you, and I'm changing your name to Petros. It means little rock. But the Greek for Peter is Petros, little rock. And a lot of people, I think, misunderstand the scripture because the scripture is not saying the church is built on Peter. The church is actually built on his faith because it says, I'm changing your name to Petros, little rock, but upon this Petra. This big rock, this, this faith that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now on that, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what I love in that scripture is, is that, that Jesus says, I will build the church. It's not your job because it's not a human institution. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's my church as well, he said. It, it, it's not ours, it's, it's God's. God's idea. The church is important to God. 
But the key question is, is who do we believe this Jesus is? That's what he needs to know because that's the foundation of the church. Who is this Jesus? Is Jesus just some good man? Is he, is he just some good prophet? Is it somebody that God used one day? Or do we believe as the body of Christ that God did something unique in and through the person of Jesus Christ and that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son? We did a funeral here on Friday and one of the favorite scriptures of the man that we were celebrating his life and faith was John 3.16 and and I share with the family, I said, you know my favorite word in John 3.16? My favorite word, some of you know, my favorite word in John 3.16 is so. I love the little word so. Two-letter word. Seems insignificant, but it changes everything. But God didn't just love the world, but God so loved the world. And I, I don't just love my wife, I, I so love my wife. I don't just love my kids. I, I so love my kids to the point that I would give my life for them. I mean, that little word so takes it up to a whole new level. And who is this God? This is the God who so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we would not have to perish if we would believe in him but have everlasting life. That's who we are. I, I worry that the church has lost its identity today. Sometimes I... I think we're just a glorified social institution when you hear people talking. We're a, a glorified civic group, but it's deeper than that. We're built on the foundation of this God who so loves the world. Well, how do we respond to that? Well, that's the second scripture, Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. 34. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? It's not a minor question. By this point, there are 613 laws. 365, thou shalt not do this. 248, but thou shalt do that. Well, what's number one? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And during Jesus' time, the scripture was the law and the prophets. The scripture of the day, the Old Testament law and the prophets, was the scripture. And Jesus said, so if you want to know, you can boil this whole thing down to those two. Love God. Now here's what I think is important. Is that we just shared that, that this God who loves us is the God who so loves us. And what God is looking for in response is that we so love God back. What is the reaction to God so loving us that we so love God? Periodically, I will look at my wife and I'll go, I love you. And then I wait expectantly. You know what I'm waiting for. Kind of laying it out there. You're going after all these years. Is she still going to say? But you want to hear, I love you too. Right? It's a response. And God so loves this world, and what God wants to hear back is, and we so love you, too. The response to God so loving us is that we so love in return. And, and what God is looking for from us is a relationship. God is, is not looking simply for us to come and go, I know about God, and I did a Bible study, so I know about the Scripture, but, but I come here to worship because I love God, and I do the Bible study because I want to grow in my love for God because I love God too. 
so love. And worship is an act of love. It's an opportunity. When we sing a song, we sing a hymn together and we, we worship together. It's our opportunity to be saying, I love you too. For God has already said, I so love you. But it's our response. It's why we worship. It's why we do our discipleship programs. It's why we have our life groups. It's why we have our Bible studies. It's why we have our classes and other groups that get together it's an opportunity to grow. It's why the children's wing is full of children who are studying the scriptures. It's why we have the children's choir. They get to sing, we love you too. That's why we have the youth program. It's why youth are off on a retreat. So they can learn, I love you too. But then there's a second commandment. I mean, it's interesting. Jesus would be asked, what's the greatest commandment? But he always did a buy one, get one. Every time Jesus was asked, he responds, and the second one's likened to it, and that is that you love each other. I mean, really love each other. I mean, really love each other. And the way we learn to love each other is to realize that when we look at another person, whether they're a friend or whether they're a stranger, is to look at that person and remember that Jesus loved them, so loved them, too, that Jesus died for them. And we start looking at other people as genuine human beings that God so loves. And we start so loving them too. So how do we love other people? I mean, what does that look like? We had a wedding this weekend, and uh, Rob and Reggie and I had a chance, and our families, you know, to to, get to be a part of this. And on Friday night, we we had the uh, the rehearsal. It was uptown Charlotte, so we First United Methodists agreed to allow us to use their their space because of where the reception was and the family and the guests coming in. It just made things a little more convenient there. And, and so, you know, we're uptown. We do the rehearsal on Friday night. And, and then, you know, we, we go out the church and we leave our car parked there in the parking deck near the church. And, and we walk up, you know, several blocks to, you know, where the rehearsal dinner was going to happen. And the rehearsal dinner happens and you're having all this fun visiting with people. And, and, and the different people had started leaving. And then we got ready to leave. And and, and then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, a couple of the people went, we're going to walk with you back to your car. I'm going, I'm okay. We're okay. Nancy and I are good. We can, we can, we can handle this. No, we're going to walk with you. Just make sure you're okay. Country boy. I'm okay. We can handle this. We'll be all right. No, we're going to walk with you. Okay, you know, why? Well, you just want to make sure you're okay. It's getting late, you know, and uh, we had hung around for a while with the family. You know, we're, we're going to walk with you because, you know, you're here dressed up in a suit and a tie, and Nancy looks very nice, and, and, and you're all going to go walking down the street. It's already getting late, and, and you're going to be making a few turns, and we're just going to walk with you. And, uh, okay, fine. They're going to walk with us. So, you know, we go walking down, and Nancy and I are walking, and there are two guys walking behind us, you know. And, and, and here I am in a suit, you know, Nancy's dressed up, they're in suits too, and, and we're walking down, and, and what I really wanted to happen was, I wanted them just periodically to go, well, I got the preacher coming down here. Because <laughs> it looked like I had my protection, you know, right the uh, we got the preacher almost to the parking deck, uh, we'll be right there in just a second, you know, kind of thing. And it, anyway, so we, we're walking and having a good time laughing and talking, and but then we notice it's getting late, it's getting cold. And so at the little bus stop areas, people started huddling together with their blankets and their pillows, their coats, to spend the night. Led to some question, you know, how do, what, what can we do? How do we, how do we help these people? And 
And so as we're walking, we're talking, I said, well, did, did y'all know that, you know, we, through the church, you know, we, we support the mission. You, as we were walking, I said, if, if we would keep walking and go under that overpass right over there and, and kind of just tilt just a little bit, we, w- we would be right at a couple of the ministries that we as a church support. Really? Yeah. I, I just assumed you all knew this. And, and so, you know, they, I said, they, really? And I said, yeah. And I said, you know, we, for example, Urban Ministries is right over here. And, and, and here with, you know, the, the Urban Ministry Center, you know, that's, that's where all those sandwiches go to. You know, the church will get together periodically and make sandwiches, about a thousand sandwiches or so at a time. And, you know, when you, if you get that stewardship information, you probably got it in the mail. If not, there's some booklets out there. I mean, on the cover, I think it says like 115,000 sandwiches were sent between the church and the preschool and the academy and the Monroe campus and Bible school, different groups, you know, coming together and making things. 115,000 sandwiches sent from here there to feed those who are homeless. And so we started talking about, you know, what, what all, you know, do we do? And I said, you know, we can provide, we provide dinners there at the, at the urban ministry. We do some worship experiences there and, you know, we we're able to help out. But then the other thing that's really cool is when it gets really cold, we're part of what's called room in the end. So we actually take our church vans and we drive them uptown to the urban ministry and we pick up the homeless there and bring them back to our Hemby house, which is the white house that we have here at the corner with Weddington Matthews Road in 84, just across the street from us, you know, and I said, and, and they love it. We're, we're the preferred church, we understand. And, and the reason is because that feels like a home. We actually go pick up families because did you realize that, uh, that a lot of the people who go there have children? I mean, did you realize that a lot of the homeless today are children, families with children? And so on these cold nights, we send our vans up and, and, and they pick up the homeless and they bring them back to, to the Hemby house. And, and there on Friday night, you know, a group from the church will provide a dinner. We'll fix dinner for these folks that are, that are homeless and hungry. And then they get to take a shower in what looks like a bathroom. Not, not what looks like a locker room, but what looks like a bathroom. And they can, they can get cleaned up. And, and then we have the cots, and they get to, to take a nap. You know, they get to sleep for the night. And, and then the next morning, a group from the church provides breakfast for them. And, and, and then they go back up to the shelter. But, yeah, we, we do that. And, and, and so I realized, you know, that, that this was new information to some degree. And, and so we started talking about And then there's crisis assistance right up over here. And and there we send funds and we support crisis assistance as well. And, and you can volunteer up there, but they can go in there and get their coats and they can get, you know, all kinds of things to stay warm and clothes and clothes for their families. And, and, and then if they're struggling for rent or other things, you know, it, the church supports there and, and they help try to get people back up on their feet. They do job training as well. And urban ministry will do job training and connections to try to help people. We're all part of that. But we do the same thing in, in, in Monroe and in Union County because actually we do more in Union County because... Well, Union County doesn't have as many churches as we have in the Charlotte area. So in Union County, we have the community shelter that, that we support, we provide dinners for, we, we, we fund the, the shelter. We also fund Union County Crisis Assistance. I mean, we're, we're one of their top church contributors, if not the top, because we just we believe that there's the food pantry that they have there. They, they try to help do make sure that, that we're actually helping people, not just enabling people. And they work with them to try to get them up on their feet and and then there's turning point turning point you know is a is a shelter for battered and abused women really yeah we support them and their kids 
Because some of these ladies that have to escape, these people that, that are so abused and, and victimized in their home, they're, they're running with their kids, and the only thing they have is what they're wearing as they ran out the door, and, and we try to provide for them. Wow. Yeah, and then there's this, there's this place that's kind of opposite, you know, it's just down the road a little bit from there, and, and it, it looks like a pediatrician's office, but it's not. Well, what is that? Well, that's... That's the place, we have a place that the law enforcement and the pediatrician and the, the social workers and others will go and a child has the physical examination after being sexually abused. And so when they come in, they're able to grab a blanket. They get to pick a blanket. There's a whole pile of them and they get to pick one that that they will use to cover themselves while they're being examined. And we help provide those. And then there are teddy bears and other things that when it's all done, that they get to take a teddy bear and they get to keep it and take it home with them. And we help provide those. And Well, there was actually some folks that are in our church with their group that actually provided the examination table and equipment that are used to try to make sure these kids are okay. You see, I, I think when God calls us to love our neighbor, it, it just reminds me. It reminds me of that conversation that I had when I stopped in front of my church. It was just me and God, but I heard God saying, I, you know, you played preacher for so long, I need you to be a real one now. And, and I just think the church, to some degree, has played church so long that God's going, you know, the issues out there are big and real, and I just... I need a real church, not just not just people playing church. I need I need a real church that'll seek to make a difference. I mean, I, I could go on and on, but there's little blue numbers up in the corner on that screen that tells me what time it is. Even though the Panthers don't play till tomorrow night. But there are so many stories and so many lives that can be changed. And then the third scripture is the Great Commission, where Jesus says, Now go and make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. You see, one of the things I think is beautiful about that scripture, these are the three greats, the Great Commandment, love God, second Great Commandment, love your neighbor, the Great Commission. It's where we love God and we love the neighbor and we introduce the two to each other. I think that's the Great Commission. Is that we love God, Great Commandment. We love our neighbor, Second Great Commandment. And the Great Commission is introducing the two to each other. Introducing the people that God loves to the God who so loves them. And that's our calling as a church because God desires to be in relationship. A genuine relationship with Lord as Lord and Savior, not just an acquaintance, but a relationship. Did you know that 30% of our community have no faith involvement? 30%. One out of three houses that we drove by on our way to church today don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And God goes, you know, I love you, I, I love you and you love me and you love them. I'd love for you to introduce us. love for you to introduce us. 28% of the people you pass by in addition to that, so, you know, better than 50% of the people, 28% of them have a they know God and, and, and they'll, 
they have a relationship in that, that they'll come Christmas, Easter, and other big events and periodically, but it's not a, a life-sustaining relationship with Jesus Christ. God goes, I'd love for you to get us together. I'd love for you to get us together. Invite us together. You see, I, I just believe that God has a real purpose for the church. The church is Jesus' idea. Jesus is the one who goes, you know, if you'll hold on to your faith that I am the Christ, I'll build a church. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. What does that church look like? Well, it looks like the people that understand that I so love them and they so love me back. That they want to worship, they want to grow, they want to... The church is the people that so love me back. I love you too. But then I want you to love each other because that's part of the role of the church. And, and our neighbor, not just the people that live within our gated communities, but our neighbors are actually those who live outside the gates of our communities and would like to eat the crumbs that drop from our tables. And, and so we provide the blankets and the food and the bread and the sandwiches and the shelters and rent at times and power at times and whatever it takes. So we're, we're looking at next year's ministries in the life of our church. And, you know, if you look in that packet of materials, the estimate for our spending next year for ministry and mission is about $3.6 million. 3.6, that sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? But if you look at the people who are already giving in the life of our church, I've shared these numbers with you before, but I want us to let them sink in. If taking the average income in our community... If we only gave 2.7%, we could do that. Just 2.7. Then I thought, wonder, wonder what would happen, you know, the tithe is 10%. What would happen if we gave half the tithe? Just half, 5%. We would give another $3 million in ministries and missions. You want to hear the beautiful thing? The fixed costs are already there. The heating, the cooling... The building, the stuff is already there. That would be three million in ministries and missions. Three million extra in ministries and missions. Can you imagine how many homeless people we could help? Can you imagine we have an orphanage in Kenya with you know about seventy kids in it? How many kids we could get out of the streets and off the land, out of the landfills with an extra three million dollars? you know that you support a pastor and a church? You actually built the building, and now you support the pastor and the church in Bulgaria, the poorest country in the European Union. You know how many other churches you could build and support? We support a pastor in Romania, one of three United Methodist ministers in the whole country. You're the partnering church with one of them. You know how much more we could share the gospel of Jesus Christ, introducing the people that God so loves and, and the God who so loves to each other? I mean, that's just if we did half of what God said. Now, just to be, just to be, you know, humorous, I looked up and thought, what if we actually tithed? We would add an extra $9.6 million. $9.6 million. I'd love to see the finance committee have to deal with that. I need you to figure out how to spend nine more million dollars on behalf of Jesus Christ. We're not leaving here tonight. We still have $2 million on the table. Wouldn't that be an awesome conversation? Wouldn't it? For the glory of God. So I ask you, I, I really ask you, I, I wonder 
if I stopped in front of this church and God said, I really need you to be a real preacher and I need the church to be a real church, what would it look like if we responded? And, and so, you know, some of you are ready when we sing our closing song, you're prepared to come and, and place your, your commitment to Christ on the altar rail. Some of us haven't quite got there yet, haven't really thought it through. You can do it online, you can do it here, you can drop it in an offering plate and send it to the church. But here's what I want. I just want you to talk about it and think about it. Talk about it with your family. Nancy and I spent some time just the other day having this conversation, knowing that today was coming. and We looked at how blessed we really are. And, and so we increased our giving again. And I share with you, we've always been one of the highest giving units in our church here. And I don't share that with you to boast in any way. What I, the reason I share that with you is I just believe it's important that you know your pastor is not going to ask you to do something he's not willing to do himself. I think it's called hypocrisy or something like that if I don't practice what I preach. And, and the other reason I do it is because I just really do believe that God needs the church. And that God can use the church to make amazing differences. So when I see people that are cold and hungry, I know, I thank God, I'm part of a church that's willing to do something about that. And seeks to make a difference. So I just invite you to, to prayerfully consider how are you going to respond to what God has done to you. Proverbs 3.9 Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I mean, God's proven that God will be faithful. And God has so loved us. Now it's our opportunity to respond. I love you too. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful because you are faithful and, and you bless and, and we are also blessed. I mean, we have, we have food on our tables and clothes on our back and shelter over our head. And to be honest, some of us have more than one shelter. And some of us have enough food that we're trying to cut back. I mean, we're blessed. You so love us that you gave your only begotten Son so that we could be forgiven for our sins, have everlasting life with you, and walk with you every day of our lives. We are so grateful. And you look at us regularly and you tell us you love us. And God, we look to you and say we love you too. And then you call us to love our neighbors. And you call us to introduce you to our neighbors. So God, we just pray that we will be a real church and not just play church. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.